Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I am Gordon. Hello, my friend. It's good to be together again. It's been a bit hectic around these parts recently. Uh, yeah, but all sorted out now. And time to think about photography. With all the blooming that is happening around us, the buds opening, the trees leafing, and many of us are pulling out our gear to go and make images. Well, I have to agree. We have listeners who do not have to deal with the ice and snow, but the spring season in the northern hemisphere encourages photography, and in the southern hemisphere it's fall, and that also opens us up to photographic opportunities. Dum, da, dum. Okay. Yes, it does. But along with the opportunities comes a particular problem. And this is how to photograph an object which is either very small or very close or sometimes very large and get everything sharp. So I thought it would be appropriate to share how one can make an image that has more depth of field than the photographic scenario might allow for in a single frame. Aha, uh -huh, he said. So we'll explain in some depth. <laughs> a phrase that we've used in episodes before, but that we've never really dived into, that of focus stacking. While some cameras offer focus stacking as a built-in service, being that I am what I am, <laughs> I want to focus on the how to do it yourself and why it works more than just selecting a menu item and going into the process with perhaps insufficient focus. If your camera has this functionality, great. But focus stacking is not only possible without the camera doing it for you, the principles originated with people making multiple images at different focus points and then manually cutting masks in Photoshop that only pass through the sharpest part of the image. Yes, focus stacking is a technique that I use with regularity because it helps me to get the image that I want. And while there is work to be done in making it happen, it really does work very well without having to manipulate camera settings to try and get where you want to be in one shot. But some are undoubtedly thinking, why not just increase the f-stop or increase the ISO if the shutter speed gets too slow? Well, these are good questions and actually pretty common responses. We have to remember that as the f-stop gets smaller, we're getting less light. And the closer that we get to our subject, and let's use the example of something small and where you're very close to it, depth of field, whether you're at F11 or F32, does not increase magnificently. Depth of field, we know, decreases as we get closer to the subject. And in the case of a landscape, you might end up with a cluttered background, and that may not be what you're looking for. So... We want to explore an alternative mechanism. We may want maximum depth of field. And even if we could get it with a single frame and a very small aperture, that could require us slowing down the shutter speed to the point where air movement of the subject could cause blur. 
To combat this, the response is to increase the ISO, and we know that many photographers are loath to do so for a variety of reasons, including physical sensor size, high megapixel slash small sensor issues with increasing noise, amongst many others. Well, while I understand the leverage and the value of shallow depth of field, there are images that I choose to make where it's not going to fulfill my, my intent. My choice of lens, composition, lighting, overall available exposure, added to the environmental considerations, often places me in a position where I cannot get as much depth of field as I would like, or more simply, as much of the scene in sharp focus from front to back. That's a very comprehensive explanation of the problem that we all encounter. At a very high level, the solution is to make multiple images at a series of different focus points where the per-image depth of field overlaps to some extent with the depth of field of the next or the prior image. Then we use a post-processing methodology to stack the images together and let the software select the sharpest portions of the available images and combine those together in a single image. We call this a composite. And that, I have to admit, is pretty much it. And a lot of the time you can do this by eye, using the camera's depth field preview, or if you have an electronic viewfinder, you see the image as it will be, instead of only wide open if your camera supports that. Depending upon the total depth of field that you want, this can often be done in just a few images. Yeah, that's right. And when we think in the context of getting it all in a single image, the challenge does, however, get greater as the available depth of field gets shallower, which happens, as we know, as we get closer to the nearest part of the image that we want in focus. We could choose to focus one-third of the way into the scene to maximize the depth of field, which will maximize the return for images in the medium to large distance, or focus halfway into the scene for those subjects which are very close to very far away. These are mathematically correct choices, but no matter what you do in them, you may still not get one single image that delivers on your intent, as you pointed out. Yeah, and I find that particularly so with images of flowers, which you're doing relatively close up, or buds or spider webs, and I have to focus stack to get the desired result. Sometimes it's trial and error, but I try to use depth of field tables based on the focus distance from a tool like Photopills to pick where I will focus for each image. I always try to have a depth of field overlap between images of at least 30%, 50%, if the nearest portion of the scene is very close. Well, that's an excellent point that you make because the amount of overlap is critical in this methodology. More overlap will mean more images and more time in the stacking process, but in most cases it pays off in the end. And what means do you use to improve the probability of attaining good overlap and enough base images for a stack to work well? Well, as you said, I will do it a lot of the time just by eye. 
But when I find that the near part of the total image I desire is very close, I'm typically going to have the camera on a tripod and then I will use a focus rail that has a geared movement, make an image, turn the knob to change the camera position by a fixed amount, make another image, and continue to do this until I have enough images and enough points of sharp focus so I can feel confident that I'm going to have enough base images in order to make a composite that is pleasing. Okay, so is there any learning that you would share from this experience? Yes, absolutely. Because I come distantly from a film background, I treated every shot as having a cost. Obviously, I wasn't doing focus stacking back then. So an old behavior was carrying forward. And as a consequence, I would invariably discover that I didn't have enough base images. We know that storage is inexpensive, and I can put a lot of shots on a card. So one of the first things I had to learn was make more. I was also depending on a fixed focus change for each image, and I failed to take into account the impact of focus point distance relative to the delivered depth of field. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that we have a flowering plant like prairie smoke. It tends to move in the wind, so a higher shutter speed is going to be needed to freeze movement. And because I know that I'll be doing a stack, I want to keep a reasonably low ISO to prevent the pixels in the sensor from overheating and thereby introducing more noise. This is going to limit my available aperture options. What I learned is that for the closer subject to sensor images, that is, the distance between the sensor and the subject, I need more base images than once the subject to sensor distance is greater. And I am getting more than a few millimeters or even a few inches of depth of field. In my example, I want the trees in the background to be sharp as well. And if my aperture is, let's say, f11, I know that I get minimal depth of field with a camera to subject distance of a foot, but I get a lot more depth of field with a camera to subject distance of, let's say, 100 feet. And when we talk about this in the context of landscapes, as you had brought up, I want everything sharp from very close to very far. Makes perfect sense, actually. So in that scenario, you are advising more images to get the depth of field on the near elements and fewer images for the more distant elements. Yeah, basically that's it. I never change the shooting aperture. I try to be very cautious about watching for exposure shifts as I'm changing focus. So I have to make all the images in a fairly short period of time. If the natural light changes while I'm composing a stack, I'm going to get stuff that's just not going to work out. So do you think that from everything you've said before here, setting a manual exposure at the beginning of the process would be useful? I can't tell people what to do, but it's what I do. Okay. Well, it, it makes sense because if things are going to change, or if, if you're doing, say, an aperture priority and the camera is doing the sensing, it's likely that it is going to change. Whereas uh, with having it set at manual, you will get constant exposure from front to back. I'll get that constant exposure. It doesn't fix it if the light changes, but then at least I have the ability to work on a by-frame level to try to equalize the brightness. I mean, that's what we can do with a histogram, right? Right. It's good. It's a good example for us. Yes, I have to admit, I've experienced the negative impact of this changing exposure 
while making a sequence of base images for a stack. Now, I have photographed with you a lot, and you have this propensity for using a flash to fill frequently, particularly where part of the scene is very close. Does that complicate things? Well, it can certainly complicate things. Because I'm using fill flash, it's only going to reach so far. And what I'm trying to do is create separation and filter shadows on the closest part of the image. I have to remember in this scenario, I have to flash in manual mode, and I have to ensure that that flash is putting out only so much light. My goal and my settings are made so that the flash is putting out a stop less light than what the ambient is providing. So if the ambient meter reading says, for example, F11, I'm gonna use the flash set where it would need F8 for a proper exposure. Basically, I'm underexposing the flash by that one stop. I get the fill that I want, but I don't skew the overall exposure so the stack looks, for lack of a better term, weird. My goal when I stack is photorealism and not necessarily to be able to go, oh yeah, I used a flash on that. Hmm. Yes, I know how you like that. Well, I, f I find that the focus stacking options in Lightroom Classic works quite well, as well as the options in Photoshop. They work fine for what I do. What do you think about A, a Photoshop and B, what are the other options? The simplest route that results in an image that looks good at the proper viewing distance is all that I care to take. No need to make the job more difficult than necessary. I have found that as the complexity of the subject matter in the scene increases, that from time to time the automatic masking in Lightroom Classic or Photoshop that actually creates different layers needed to make the stack is not always as precise as I would like it. Well, I think I've seen this at my, my level, and I have to admit I don't pay that much attention to it. But I have seen this, but not often. So where do you see these issues predominantly? Or is there something that you check first to determine if you need a different tool to get your result? Well, every subject that we photograph has a complex fractal pattern at its core. And a scene with many in-focus subjects consequently has multiple complex patterns. When we've got a very complex pattern, this is where auto-masking seems to fail most. Also, virtual lines that move from high to low contrast, or vice versa, can trip up the auto-masking algorithms. The masking algorithms see them as significant contrast shifts, and it seems to mess them up. Well, I'll take your word for the fractal mathematics stuff, because, let's face it, you're a serious geek when it comes to fractals. I've seen the issue with contrast changes over distance myself. So how do you handle that then? Well, as you've noted, and I concur, Lightroom Classic and Photoshop do a great job most all of the time. However, when I don't see what I'm hoping for, I'll go to a paid software application called Helicon Focus. It's one of those special purpose tools that does one thing extraordinarily well. And the one thing that it does extraordinarily well is focus stacking. So you think everybody should get one? Nope. Only if you determine that the tools that you have at hand don't do what you want. After you've done your part, of course, in producing the right set of base images. And if it's important enough to you that it's worth the extra expense and the extra time to get there, well, if that's you, then buy the software. If not, why spend money on something that doesn't matter to you? 
Yeah, I telling people that. If you're not using it, don't do it. Keep it as simple as possible, but no simpler than that. I know where I tend to use focus tracking the most. What about you? Well, like yourself, when I'm making close-up images of small things, where the depth of field delivered in a single image is not enough for the story that I want to tell is going to deliver, that's where I find myself doing focus stacking most of the time. So it doesn't necessarily have to be fancy-dancy macro or anything. Any image where you feel you may not get the depth of field, and that includes landscapes. Sure, absolutely. Would benefit from using focus stacking. Right. Well, there's this fellow I know. Oh, wait, he's the co-host of the podcast, who advocates using a long telephoto lens for landscapes. And it's absolutely brilliant. But as we know, the longer the focal length of the lens, the less depth of field you're going to get at any aperture compared to, say, an ultrawide. So if I'm going to shoot landscapes with a longer lens, which, by the way, works beautifully, that's a scenario in a landscape where I would be absolutely likely to use focus stacking. Okay, glad to hear that. Well, everything you've said makes sense for most photographers, I believe. So thank you all listeners for having the patience to listen to us babble on. And if you don't subscribe to these podcasts, why not? Until the next time we meet, I'm Gordon. I'm Ross. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. If you shop at BNH Photo, please do so through the link on the homepage. It costs you nothing and pays us a small commission based on what you buy. Feel free, always, to post questions or comments. I read and respond to them all. And until next time, peace.